episode of Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sani. I'm your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, what we'll do here, we run down news at the top of the episode, movie and TV, then we'll dive into some what we've been watching, and later on in the week, we'll have a featured segment episode. Um, so let's go ahead and get into it, because another busy news week, um, you know, after that sort of break when COVID took over Hollywood kind of went in full force with the news because now it's just a bunch of people signing onto projects and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, sort of to keep it in the sphere of COVID, it's been a while since we did this, but we do have a couple updates on delayed release dates, um, starting with Wonder Woman 1984, which was originally supposed to come in like February, then it got delayed to July, and then it got delayed to October, and now it's been pushed to Christmas. Um, this points to Dune probably getting delayed. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes, but uh, right now Dune is still on the calendar for the week before Wonder Woman because they're both Warner Brothers movies, so just keep an eye out for that update as well. Uh, and then Candy uh, Candyman has moved indefinitely to 2021. Um, it, there's no real date around this. They're not playing like a game of chicken and trying to decide, you know, we're going to come out in February and then it gets delayed again. So they're just kind of pushing to 2021 and we'll get an actual confirmed release date um, about that here in, you know, probably a month or so. Um, did you want to talk anything about this or do you want to kind of move into Dune and talk about it all together? Well, yeah, just a couple of things. I think it's the most responsible thing to do, obviously, but um, considering the fact that we do have options now, like considering with the Alamo having <clears> that's drive-in movie theater option, and you know, if you want to play as safe as possible, you go in on like a on like a Tuesday morning, <laughs> in the middle of the week, and just try to just try to watch these movies in like the most like spacious and you know less amount of audiences as possible, so you can just enjoy it without without the worry of getting COVID. Um, but you know, obviously, it's gonna be a stagged year next year. <laughs> yeah, movies are gonna supposed to be getting so. I mean, uh, what more what more else can you say about that? Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see the way that the release. It's we're, we we you and I are already at the theater at least once a week. It feels like at this rate we're gonna be at the theater like two to three times every single week next yeah, year. Yeah, we should be we should be saving our money now so that we can go to the movie theater three know, times which, next week. Which, which is good because like you know we haven't spent a lot of money on movies this year, obviously. Right. So we'll have enough saved up for next year. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm, I'm expecting that AMC A list to get its get its money's worth for sure, paying twenty dollars oh, yeah. a month, like seven movies a month probably. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but let's go ahead and get into the Dune trailer, which is the next thing on our agenda, and we can kind of talk about the delay of it here, um, the potential delay, I guess, of it here. But let's discuss the trailer first. So we got our first official look at Denis Villeneuve's new movie. Uh, Sam and I had already seen sort of a preview of it with the teaser that came out attached to Tenet, but this was our first official, like, three-minute look. Um, what, what were your thoughts on this, Sam? Because this is obviously your most anticipated movie coming into the year. I got chills just thinking about it, man. It's so good. I love this trailer, man. It just—it's fantastic. It's what I expected out of a Denis Villeneuve master, you know, giant scope movie with you know Greg Fraser behind the camera and in this insane cast that we just saw the most out of in this trailer. It's just you know it hit everything I wanted it to hit and you know give me a good look at to what to expect out of this because I haven't read the book. So this is giving me a good like primer to what to expect out of this movie. I think this trailer is just fine. Um, I don't really? think this is like a stellar trailer by any means. Um, it doesn't, you know, impact my excitement for this movie. Obviously, with the crazy cast and Denis being behind the camera, Greg Frazier, and and I'll t- I'll say Greg Frazier did impress me with this. You know, he's uh, he's done some cinematography and some great stuff like Rogue One and whatnot. Um, and he's really talented behind the camera. Um, and there's some beautiful shots in this thing. But mm-hmm. as a whole, like, I didn't like the use of the pop music. I thought it was kind of weird. I understand that's sort of like an homage, I guess, to one of the original Dunes or something. I don't, I don't know the exact background behind it. Um, but you know, this trailer is fine. I didn't think it was the sort of stellar thing that people were going crazy about on the internet. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't really impact my excitement this uh, one way or another, but I, I just thought, you know, it was a trailer. I, I was excited to get our first look at it. It was cool to get our first look, but I wasn't like, I wasn't going crazy over it the way I was like, you know, impressed by some of those Tenet trailers even, or, or some of these more recent trailers of movies that I'm not even as excited about, to be quite honest with you. True. I mean, I guess you could say it's just, you know, it's a combination of how excited you are to see the movie. You know, just like <clears throat> I've been telling you like all year, like, you know, is Dune going to come out this year? Or are we going to get a trailer? You know, what's our first look going to be? What are the what's the tone that's going to be set? You know, and I think that this pretty much hit what everything I wanted to expect out of it. I, I like the sort of 
there there are certain shots in this thing, like I said, that are incredible. Like, you know, obviously one being like the sandworm at the end of the trailer, which is really cool. Um, I love some of the shots of like Oscar Isaac and Re- Rebecca Ferguson who are playing Chalamet's parents in this movie. Mm. Um, you know, you and I also don't have a lot of background on this story. So it was just cool to kind of get a feel, like you said, of what we can expect from this. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, like, I, I just, I, I expected more, I guess, from this trailer is what I'm trying to say. And, and it's it's weird maybe, because... maybe they're trying to just keep it you know as low-key as possible from your perspective because you, they don't know if they're going to even release this year yeah so it's going to save like the good stuff for like the actual you know huge trailer that they could premiere as, as it approaches the release date yeah but that's what i'm also thinking like i guess that that might be part of warner brothers strategies because they don't know when this movie's coming out like are we going to get a second trailer because you know all things considered if this movie is still coming out in december i don't expect to get a second trailer between september and november right like that just doesn't make any sense to me in terms of marketing strategy so this i assume will be the only trailer for this movie mm. um and that confuses me unless of course the movie does get pushed um do you expect that to happen now with the wonder woman delay I don't know. I don't think I've been seeing a lot of speculation online concerning the fact that Wonder Woman did get delayed, and they're also t- taking into consideration the Tenet, you know, box office numbers and the fact that Denis doesn't really have, you know, that pull in regards to box office numbers. But um, I don't know. It really just depends on what Warren wants to do with it, what Denis will probably say about it, what the cast will probably say about it, and it's really hard to say. I mean, everyone has that time off. You know, it's the holiday season. And people are going to be wanting to do other stuff besides, you know, spending time with their family. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so we've got you know, enough of that this year. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I think they're just playing it by ear. I don't think that they would, you know, not want to go up, up against Wonder Woman. I think they want to relish that uh, that that competition in regards to box office numbers and you know audience audience sizes and all that. I, it's really hard to say, honestly. I can't really tell you definitively. But yeah, there is there is something I wanted to mention is the fact that Greg Frazier, back in May, they started circulating recently when the trailer came out. He said that this is a standalone epic, but it was under my impression that this was going to be a two-parter. Mm-hmm. I assume that the sort of the thing that he's trying to say there is similar to what the Russos were saying about infinity war and um endgame because that was originally i remember like avengers 3 part 1 and avengers 3 part 2 um and i assume that's what he means by this in terms of it's you know it's gonna be a standalone story but that second part is still gonna come and continue it so like it's a movie that'll stand on its own it's not gonna be like a complete cliffhanger or whatnot like it's you know it's gonna end it's gonna have definitive end and then the second part is gonna be like revisiting that world and returning to that story so Does that then, make let sense? Me, then let me ask you maybe maybe that's why you weren't as high on it this would go around because it is a first part of kind of like similar to a uh, deathly hallows part one in a sense sure. so maybe that you're maybe once you watch the movie and we'll probably get the second trailer for or the first trailer for the second movie mm-hmm. it could be a higher you know more much higher anticipated in your in your perspective you think oh yeah i don't i don't doubt that because i have like you know i'm like 99.9999 percent sure that this movie's gonna be a masterpiece so like that mm-hmm. that part doesn't scare me at all and, okay, and you make okay. a great point that like the sec the trailer for the second movie whenever that does come around um that will probably get me even more excited um but you know this trailer as like a whole experience i thought it was just fine i didn't think it was like a stellar stellar like you know crazy like i love the visuals i, I just think all the pieces didn't come together quite for me sure um, yeah and i was like, also i'm on the same boat as you in the regards to the music that they chose but i'm hoping or i'm glad the fact that they chose that they, they did that because i just want to see uh hans zimmer score just like yeah. fresh as possible yeah that's that's very true it's going to be an incredible score from hans zimmer um did you have like a standout moment of the trailer before we move to the next topic hmm. um actually yeah the the little live thing that they did on twitter with the cast and the sure, and, yeah. and denise i think that was pretty cool to see how them just talking about their own characters and their experience on set and yeah we got some like behind the scenes footage as well right. some like right. Denis, like directing and stuff like that that was right. cool yeah that's yeah. what my standout was yeah i love that i always love like the panels and stuff like that they obviously had to do it virtually but that was cool to see the whole cast come together oscar isaac making jokes about the size of josh brolin's head and stuff <laughs> like that. it was a lot of fun um i'll put the link to that as well as the trailer and the episode notes so just check those if you're interested in watching any of those things um let's move on to the next topic now deadline is reporting that harry styles has found his next project following dunkirk he's gonna be replacing shia labeouf and olivia wilde's don't worry darling this is the sort of 19 
1950s utopian California desert cult movie that we talked about. Um, he's joining Florence Pugh, Chris Pine, Dakota Johnson, and Wild herself. But like I said, he is replacing Shia LaBeouf, who is leaving the project because of scheduling conflicts. Um, I'll start off by saying I'm pretty excited about this because you know we, you and I talked about Harry Styles just a couple days ago uh, for our Dunkirk episode, and we said that we were pretty impressed by him as an actor, um, although it was in a smaller role. That being said, I'm pretty bummed that Shia is leaving this project because uh, that was probably the casting news about this that I was most excited about that or Florence Pugh. So mm. the fact that he's leaving this project does get me, um, you know, a bit upset, but I, I trust Olivia Wilde. I trust the rest of this cast. So I'm not like less excited about this movie by any means. I think I'm a magician, bro. Cause like we were talking <laughs> about the fact that Harry Styles is really good in Dunkirk, surprisingly good. And then it, like literally when I tweeted out our last episode, I said like, I put hashtag Harry Styles should act more like not even five minutes after I tweeted that yeah. we got the breaking that he was, he was starring in Olivia Wilde's next movie. So I, I believe if, your exact words were, I am Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> So if there's an actor out there that you want me to talk about on the podcast, tweet about so they can get in their next role, just let me know and I'll do that for you. Just, you know, slam me a little couple bucks on my Venmo or something. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited about this. I mean, you know, considering the fact that he is acting alongside, you know, very talented actors themselves and with Olivia Wilde's direction and how well she did with Booksmart, I'm really excited to see how he does in this role. I don't know if it's going to be similar to how he was in Dunkirk, like this sort of very inexperienced soldier that's like, you know, with a, with a lot of sense of urgency. I want to see if he probably flexes acting muscles a little bit and tries to do, do, uh, do something different, to say the that least. Yeah, that's probably what I'm most excited about this, at least, because like I would imagine that Shia was cast for a person that's going to be like really out there and weird and strange. Did so, we say that he was going to be like a cult leader or something? Yeah, yeah, we had discussed that, or at least like some sort of prominent figure in the cult. Um, and I imagine that Harry Styles is stepping into that same exact role. I don't think that they're going to like rewrite that role by any means. So that does get me excited because like you just said, it, it is him flex flexing a different acting muscle. It's definitely going to be different from Dunkirk. Like Dunkirk, he was just like the soldier who's trying to get off the beach. He's just like, I'll do anything at all costs. I'll, I'll point out my comrades if I have to and throw them under the bus if I have to or under mm -hmm. the boat, literally, um, if I have to. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I'm just most excited about him doing something that's very different and something that we haven't seen him do. And, you know, he might not necessarily nail the sort of out there cult leader, whoever this character might be, the way that Shia did. But mm -hmm. it is cool to see him taking a step in that direction as a performer. I think the fact that he's, you know, being directed by someone who is an actor themselves and alongside Florence, Chris and Dakota, he has all the tools he needs on top of his own talent to, you know, bring out the best in this character. Yeah, I agree with that. It'll be exciting. I I'm still excited about this project. This doesn't get me any less excited. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it does suck to see Shia, who's like sort of in a renaissance himself after having the year that he did last year to leave. Well, it could be. They did mention the fact that he couldn't, he couldn't do this movie because of scheduling conflicts. So maybe, you know, there's another great Shia performance out on the horizon that we can yeah. look out for. Yeah, well, speaking of which, uh, Pieces of a Woman, which just premiered at Venice, which mm. Kirby is now apparently the frontrunner for Best Actress at the Oscars. Um, Shia is apparently very good in that as well. So we're definitely getting good Shia performances, so that's at least exciting. Um, Are we going to talk about Venice on this podcast just a little bit? Um, let's I hold see. off on it right now, because we're going to be talking about Oscars in like just a couple weeks here as we lead into quote-unquote Oscar season, whatever that means, this year All for right. 2020. Um, okay. So let's hold off on that for just like a week or two. Um, okay. But let's get into the next thing, which is crazy, crazy news. Um, Zazie Beetz, Regina King, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield, RJ Seiler, and a few others are joining Jonathan Majors and Idris Elba in a Netflix project entitled The Harder They Fall. Um, this is being described as like a sort of revenge Western uh, it, The plot synopsis per deadline is the film is going to follow outlaw Nat Love, who's being played by Majors, who discovers that the man, Elba, who killed his parents two decades ago is being released from prison. He reunites with his gang to track his enemy down and seek his revenge. Um, this cast is insane. <laughs> yeah, this really surprises me because we, we don't see casts like this unless it's like a giant temple comic book movie like yeah. you know, Black Panther. Like, they had, um, what... The Five Bloods, but like the biggest names in that was like Chadwick, rest in peace. Yeah. John, Jonathan, people who don't know really Jonathan is because of they haven't either they haven't seen either Lovecraft Country or Last Black Man in San Francisco, or maybe Clark Peters is probably like a, another recognizable face in that movie. But sure, yeah. in regards to like you know the biggest biggest names, it was pretty much just Chadwick. But with this one, you have Zazie, Regina, Lakeith, Idris. I mean, this is like you know back to back to back you know huge names in this movie. 
this is like an all-timer level cast. I mean, you have like up-and-comers like Zazie and, and Jonathan Majors and, and Lakeith, and then you have like Oscar winners like Regina King, Delroy Lindo, who's coming off one of his best performances of his career, like Idris Elba. It just doesn't get better than this, right? Like, it's, when you're looking at like a cast of color and you're bringing this many people that talented of that sort of um, – Fan, or stardom together like you just don't see that that often and for netflix yeah. to put this team together um is really really cool the director is like a first-time director so we don't even know what they have in terms of potential of work but that's also pretty cool that like all these big names are attaching themselves to a feature directorial debut um it just sounds really exciting and then you pair that you know as cast even aside like the story of it like a revenge sort of western type thing like that that in itself is also really really cool because those things are always like you know they're dark they're gritty but they're also really tense and thrilling and oftentimes very very good so that like pairing all these pieces together i'm sure this is shooting up to like both of the top of ours like most anticipated list coming up it's just the first of its class. I know it's the first of its class in regards to like the modern era but like have we seen an like an all-black cast for a western Ooh, I can't think of one. I know, like, like... I'm thinking of, like, Searchers. I'm thinking of, like, Leone's, like, Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah, no, none of them really... Like, most of the time, they don't even have, like, black characters. Maybe, like, one yeah. or two at most. But, like, right. most of the time, they don't even have, like, maybe Django being the closest thing, right? I guess, but... I, yeah, but, yeah. It's not the same, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's right. very, very different from a tr- tr- traditional Western. It's it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, but... What uh, was that one I, movie with, um... What's his name... Denzel Washington. The, oh, uh, the Magnificent Seven. The Magnificent Seven. They're yeah, just, <clears throat> I got a couple like people of color, but like it wasn't as you know stacked as this cast was. Yeah, I mean Denzel was surrounded by like Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio, <laughs> so still right. like pretty pretty like white cast. But, but um, I'm I'm very very um fortunate or like was it what's the word? I'm just like you know happy that we have Netflix mm. to give us these projects, considering the fact that we're not getting out to the, uh, going out to theaters to see these movies. So yeah, you know, yeah. we have a we have a lot to look forward to in regards to like Netflix is a slate these coming months to say no definitely and and we've got like a lot of exciting netflix picked up pieces of a woman speaking of that they're picking i think they picked up halle berry's directorial debut as well Mm. um they've got like mank coming out and uh, trial of chicago 7 which is coming out um so they've the trailer's supposed to come out today isn't it yeah it hasn't come out yet i was kind of hoping that it would come out before we record so i guess we'll have to talk about it on next week's probably like a like a like a like a what's it called a commercial for the the NFL. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but yeah, this project seems just insane. Like this cast alone is, is enough to get excited, and then you oh, pair yeah. all those other pieces together. Um, it gave me whiplash when I saw this. You know this. Yeah, this. <laughs> it's shocking. Like to see this caliber of people attaching themselves to like this kind of project, and, and it is cool to see like all these you know these voices of color coming together and mm-hmm. trying to tell like a different story that we're not used to seeing from these kind of people. So that's exciting. I think in a pretty positive step in the right direction yeah i couldn't say it better myself <laughs> um let's jump into the horror corner real quick i titled this rogers horror corner but <laughs> i think i think there's some things on here that sam wants to talk about so the three things in this horror corner being uh freaky the trailer for the new body swap uh serial killer movie hit hit the internet um director of host that I talked about a few weeks ago, Rob Savage has signed a three-picture deal with Blumhouse following the success of his Shutter movie, and Nev Campbell is returning for Scream 5. Um, I say that Sam wanted to talk about something. I assume it's going to be the freaky trailer, and I, you know, Sam and I, we basically when we see big news, we just DM it to each other because um, <laughs> that helps us keep track and we don't miss anything, and everything is just sort of there. So when we're scrolling through the DMs in the um, in the well, day it's really just Raj sending it to me because when I send something to Raj, he's already seen it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that that was actually going to be what. I was gonna say about this is like I had seen this trailer and I'd watched it and I was really excited for it, but I didn't even send it to Sam because I was like, I imagine Sam's not gonna be really excited. <laughs> for this. And then he sent it to me like you know an hour later and he was like, this actually looks like a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, I'm glad that Sam actually saw this and we can actually talk about it now. So I'll toss it to you first. What would you think about this trailer as a whole? The the standout for me obviously is Vince Vaughn. I think he's very underrated. I think yeah. he's one of the versatile actors that we can talk I, about. Yeah, in I that. guess we should, I guess what we should say is this is like a it's like it's like a Freaky Friday sort of body swap movie, but it's swapping like a uh, like high school or college girl who's played by Catherine Catherine Newton from uh, the Pokemon movie as well as uh, Big Little Eyes. Um, it's swapping her body with Vince Vaughn who's playing like a serial killer. So Vince Vaughn's character is like trapped in this young girl's body, and then the young girl is like trapped in Vince Vaughn's body, and and that's you know it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I think Vince Vaughn has a great comedic appeal, appeal to him, but like you know, this is what the same director who did um Happy Death Day, 
Christopher Landon. Yeah, so I might actually have to watch those now because of my interest for this one, just to get a primer to see how this movie's going to turn out. But like this one just looks, just look, looks like a lot of fun to me. I mean, it doesn't take it doesn't take itself seriously. Vince Vaughn has a great comedic appeal to him, so I'm <clears throat> looking forward to this one actually. But there's one thing with the Neve Campbell, like uh, the the Scream Five casting, that Neve Campbell's going to come back for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Raj regularly sends me these like these announcements or these like news headlines for the screen movie i just like brush them <laughs> off because like dude I, I i why are you sending this to me <laughs> it's more for my purpose so i don't forget to put it in the in the show notes to be completely honest with you it's, i just it's not I just, even for you <laughs> i just brush him off it was like you know he's like he sends me like this like i'm so happy that you're happy about this <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's kind of what i like the feeling that i got off the freaky trailer when you sent it to me it was like oh sam's actually excited about this thing um but yeah, I'll, I'll say about I'll say about the trailer for that first. Um, I agree with you that it's it is cool to see Vince Vaughn doing something. You know, returning back to that sort of um, that sphere of comedy because we've seen him try to make a splash in the in the serious realm with the Caxal Rage and stuff recently. Um, so it is exciting to see him going back to comedy. And also, yeah, I would I would highly suggest that you watch Happy Death Day because Chris Landon, you'll get an understanding of the sort of vibe that he goes for as a director. But also, like that was similar. You know, in this movie, he's taking the body swap thing and putting it into a horror genre, um, but using a lot of comedy and similar to Happy Death Day, where he's taking the Groundhog Day element and putting it into a horror film with a lot of comedy. So you'll get a very good understanding of what he's probably going to do with Freaky. And if you like those movies, I imagine you probably will end up liking this one. It looks a lot of fun. Um, yeah, on, on the Nev Campbell front, um, we'll see what happens with this new Scream movie. Obviously, the directors of Ready or Not are helming it, so that's pretty exciting. The original cast, Courtney Cox, uh, David Arquette, and Nev Campbell now are returning. Um, I guess we'll have to do like a Scream-focused episode around Halloween time because you and I are planning some horror-centric episodes leading into October. So maybe that's something that we'll have to do and sort of rediscuss and relitigate our thoughts in this movie. So maybe you'll so get then, more excited about it. I guess that means I have homework to do, but if you're giving me homework for October, then I have to give you homework for October. Okay, fair enough. I guess we'll, <laughs> we'll have an episode. We'll do maybe like a movie swap episode in October or something. So keep an oh, eye no, out. Mine's, for mine's a TV show. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm in trouble. I have to watch like 20 hours or something. No, no it's like a season, like 12 episodes. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I think that's all in the, the horror corner. This is just another sort of plug for you, Sam, to watch Host finally, because now that director signing a three-picture deal with Blumhouse is pretty exciting, because that means, mm-hmm. you know, they've obviously got a lot of reliance in him. Um, Host went viral, basically. It was this sort of craze on the internet and on Twitter and whatnot. So I'm hoping that this will maybe push you towards subscribing to Shutter, doing a free trial or something and checking it out. I think you're just trying to get me to get shut because you had to cancel yours. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, able to, I'll be able to leech off you a little bit. <laughs> um, last thing on the news front here, the Academy has introduced some new diversity requirements um, coming from a press release from them. Um, we knew that this was being sort of established in the background, and now we've got sort of some firm confirmation in terms of what they're doing. Um, they're introducing new representation and inclusion standards for the best picture criteria. So films must meet two of the four outlined standards standards for to be eligible to be nominated for best picture so this is not affecting the other categories it's just for best picture but the four standards of which they need to be two um they need to have on-screen representation themes or narratives that which includes like casting people of color lgbtq and stuff like that um creative leadership and project team so same things but on like the directing team the producing team um industry access and opportunities so inviting press to screenings and whatnot and then audience development and marketing so um you know appealing uh, like establishing a marketing development or marketing department that has like people of color voices of color in it and also appealing to those voices as well. Um, it's a lot more in depth than this, so I'm going to link to the press release in the notes. But um, you know, for the purpose of time, we're just going to sort of keep it bare bones in terms of what the actual standards are. Um, this is not going to be eligible, or these are not going to be like eligibility requirements until the 96th Oscars, which is the 2024 ceremony. So that gives studios a couple years to prepare for this thing in the lead up, um, you know, to reshape their departments and, and casts and whatnot. Um, but you know, did, there was a lot of like it's weird to say this, there was a lot of controversy online because of these standards, people being upset because this is sort of, um, they, their, their argument was that 
this is impacting the art of the Oscars. And, you know, even though we've talked about how the Oscars don't always get it right, the point of the Oscars is to be to award the best movie. And people thought this was sort of infringing on that. Um, so what are your sort of thoughts on the way that people reacted to this whole thing? Uh, it's ridiculous to me because if we've, we've seen how the Academy or even like Hollywood itself, if left to their own devices, you just, you know, cast like all white people, yeah. white stories, you know, white creatives. And the fact that they can't see the, the benefit of diversifying their industry, there's no downside to diversifying your stories or the people that are involved in creating these stories. So, you know, it just improves the movies that you're going to be watching going forward like because of the fact that they're introducing these standards i don't see any downside to this yeah i i agree with you i don't think it's you know it's it's never a bad thing to to in to increase inclusivity and um you know while i agree with some people in the terms of i think the oscars and this was far before these standards were introduced this was just like you know for my entire perspective on the film industry i've always wanted the oscars to award the best picture to the best picture i don't care who it is or what it is or and and they don't always get it right that's very true that being said what's more important than awarding a movie something is diversity inclusivity and giving people the right opportunity to do something and if this is the step that it needs to take to inc- increase those opportunities, then I'm all for it. I have no problem with it. You know, if that impacts the Oscars, so be it, because it's going to be for the best of the industry as a whole. Right, because we've had hashtags that say, you know, Oscars so white <clears throat> a couple of times throughout the 2010s. Mm-hmm. So my question to the critics are, what would be your solution to solving why the Oscars are so, you know, consistently white in regards mm-hmm. to like the acting nominations, the move, the stories they tell, mm-hmm. or the people involved in these in these movies? Like, what's yeah. the What's the alternative? Yeah, and obviously, like, this year's ceremony was sort of a step in the right direction. We got more people of color nominated. Obviously, Parasite won, so it was a sort of bright spot. But this is following up the Green Book thing, and, you know, this... Yeah, I feel like if, you know, black voices were involved in the creation of Green Book, it wouldn't be as, you know, have such a negative light as it is right now. Like Yeah. Yeah, and I, I hope that, like, also because, like, the Academy is inviting so many new nem- new members to its um, sort of, uh, to the Academy as a whole, like, all these new voices of color and younger people are being invited to the Academy. It's sort of pushing out, I guess, in a way, the older generation, and I think that that's actually the biggest solution and the sort of most important thing is because whether it's people of color or white people in this younger coalition of the new Academy members, um, those people are just more knowledgeable and accepting of these things that are truly right, and to sort of push out the old guard, I think, is a good thing sort of up front, but if mm-hmm. this is going to be an additional sort of add-on to that to help make Hollywood and the Oscars right, then I have absolutely no problem with that. And this is like not like it's set in stone or anything. Like they're probably going to be playing around with the ideas of it just to see how it pan, pans out. Like yeah. just like <clears throat> they're going to do their best to make sure that we get the best movies that we can, but also by having that inclusivity factor in, in exactly. factored into it. So like we're getting exactly. both the best best of both worlds essentially. They're exactly. just like you know they're just playing around with the idea at this point, and then they're just going to develop from there. Yeah, and the perception that this makes anything worse by any means is completely illegitimate because, like, we've seen it now in the most recent sort of projects that we've gotten that voices of color have stories to tell and they do it very, very well. So to give these people that opportunity now, it's not going to really impact your final product. You're doing is what you're doing is making it more inclusive, making it more inclusive space. And like, you know, if you look at Hollywood, all the heads of studios are still white. Like all the sort of big time directors, most of them are still white. Like all the big time actors are still white. Like this is still something that needs to happen, obviously. And I'm hoping that this This is just a stepping stone. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sure we'll get more news even leading up to that 96 Oscar ceremony is like in terms of what other initiatives that the Academy is going to take. And I, mm. I give the Academy props for this. I think it is a, a step in the right direction. I hope, like you just said, more is to come. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see that. Um, right. But let's go ahead and get into our what we've been watching segment now. Sam, I, I believe you watched a few things this week. Just a couple of things. <clears throat> Two TV shows in the movie. I'm not going to like, you know, inundate you guys with like <laughs> the other <laughs> 50, 15 list movie thing. But, um, <laughs> the first thing I saw this week, I finished off Fargo season two. I think I agree with Raj and the fact that season one was much funner. I think that the reason being that, that I couldn't really like this one as much as I like season one is because, you know, there was no character as charming as Billy Bob in the first one. There wasn't a character as, you know, as awkward or quirky or like this very irredeemable kind of character with Martin Freeman's character in the first mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. But this go around is like an interesting element of like warring a uh, gang affiliation. It's also tied into one of the characters from like the last season. 
So like it was like a the dad figure of the cop who was like the figure of trying to figure out what's going on in Fargo season one. Yeah. So that was a good that was a fun tie into it. And you know we have like uh, great performances because of like Patrick Wilson and blanking on the guy's name, but the guy who plays the dad of another another cop dad in the in the show. I don't know the character's name or the actor's name, but it's a fun go around. I'm interested to see how season three goes because you have Ewan McGregor in it and I'm a big fan of Ewan. So, you know, <clears throat> look out for the season, season three. I'll probably finish it by next, by next episode. <laughs> um, I saw Bowling for Columbine last night and, you know, this movie knocked me on my ass. Like there's like, it's it's very if you like follow me on social media, if you listen to this podcast, it's very safe to say that I'm a very left leaning individual. So I'll try to keep that you know downplayed for the purpose of this review. But I think Michael Moore does a great job of trying to challenge your perceptions of America. Like he like talks about like the hypocrisy, the the history of it, the culture in regards to like guns and and you know the violence that's so prevalent within America and why it is that we are this way compared to like other developed countries like Canada, like Britain, Germany, uh, Australia. And he does like, he, he does a great job of framing it in the way that, you know, Americans can make sense of it. Like, I think this is essential viewing for even anybody who is an American. Like if you're in the right or on the left of the spectrum of, of the politics, I think this is essential viewing for you just for you to put a frame of reference to the, I guess, you know, just why America is the way it is in regards to, like, its violence and its gun culture. So, you know, even challenge my own perceptions. Like, I had my own ideals going into this movie. It was like, you know, I know I know what this movie might, might be, or I know, like, the ideas that more could be talking about. But he did challenge my own perceptions of it. And now I have, like, a different worldview because of this movie. And that's essential when you're watching, like, documentaries or any sort of, you know, art form because you want to be challenged and you want to be... You know, you want to you want to grow from the fact that you're watching these sort of stories being told, and it's very interesting. You know, essential viewing. I think I gave it like a four and a half on Letterboxd. So, you know, have you seen this movie? No, I haven't. I'm actually curious. What compelled you to watch it like this week? Is there anything that just like sort of pop up on your one of your streaming services? Um, I was actually wanted to watch United 93 because of the mm. the 9/11 anniversary that happened. Sure. But they they took it off Netflix. So I was like, okay. I wanted to watch something that would be like hard hitting, mm. you know, something that's f- focused around like America's history and all that. So I was like scrolling through my like, my watch and I saw this one on like my uh, on the. On the Just Watch app said that it's like on HBO Max. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna put this in and just see how this one goes because I think this is the first mo- more movie I watched. Yeah, I haven't seen actually any of his movies, so this is definitely actually no, I've seen Fahrenheit 9/11. Um, but I I do need to check out this one because I have not seen it. And it sounds like it, it's important. It's, it's an important story and it's also a hard hitting mm-hmm. story from the way that you perceived it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I saw this week was, I don't know if, if I can recommend this movie to a layman, but it's an <laughs> but it's an anime TV show called Rent a Girlfriend. It's like it's mm-hmm. like a it's a show about this college age kid who gets dumped by his girlfriend, his first girlfriend after a month of dating, and he gets, like, so down down in the dumps, he gets so, so depressed that he goes on this app and he rents uh, a girl to have a date with because he's just so, like, lonely and all that. And the this movie, this show is so fucking funny, man. This is like, <laughs> I was, like, laughing throughout each and every episode, like, the, the situations that this kid goes through. Like, he's a freshman in college, and... <clears throat> And like the way that he's like he starts he starts to fall in love with this with this girl, but the girl's like a very professionally driven individual in regards to like her profession as being a rent a girlfriend. Like I'm just like this person who you rent out because you're lonely. But then like these stuff happens where he actually like, introduces her to her fam introduces her to his family, introduces her to his friends, and I like this like this like this, this conniving web of like lies so people don't find out that he rented a girlfriend, and it's just so funny. Yeah, this is one that I've had on my radar because, like you just said, like, is the first season completely done now? Mm, there's two episodes left. The 10th episode came out Saturday. Okay. So I think it's every Saturday or Friday, I think. Yeah, because I had heard good things about the manga um, pretty recently, actually, about like a couple months ago. And in that sort of research of it, I found out that the anime was just starting. So I hadn't realized that like the first season was almost done at this point. I thought it was like still in production. Um, so that's exciting to hear. But also, yeah, this is one that I've wanted to check out since I read about it because it just sounded like such a unique concept. And um, obviously, I just wanted, yeah, I was like, I was trying to watch something that was like lighthearted because uh-huh. I was bowling for Columbine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
I have. So, so, but I can't say that I can. Rec- the reason I can't recommend it like a layman or anything because it doesn't have those like tropes that you would see in like anime. That if you like, if you're like a hardcore anime fan, mm-hmm. it doesn't phase you. But like the quirkiness of the characters, <laughs> or like the situations that they go through, or, like the way that they like, there's like these weird like emotes. The way the characters emote, like they're very like over the top. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're like a anime fan, you're looking for something to watch. I would, I would recommend this show. Okay, I'll check out this one because yeah, it's only one season, so it shouldn't be too um, too difficult to catch up on it. I'm hoping, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm excited about this one. I've heard good things about it in the in the research that I've done, so I'll definitely yeah. check out this one. It's, Did you watch it on Crunchyroll? This was on Crunchyroll. Yeah, it's really easy to watch. I just binged like like it. I had no idea I was watching it that fast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, I'll go ahead and get into what I saw this week. Um, I was looking for just like some, I, I didn't watch a whole lot throughout the week. So like, you know, over the weekend, I was looking for something horror to watch. And I was just like, I haven't watched a horror movie in a couple of weeks. So let me just check out something. Clicked on a Netflix and the first thing that was popping up on my home screen was this movie titled Hashtag Alive, which is like a Korean zombie movie. Mm. Um, so I decided to check out that. It has the um, the lead actor from uh, Burning in it, I and You. So that, you know, that piqued my interest a little bit as well. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to check out this one. It was like an hour and 30 minutes. I was like, I can knock this out pretty quickly. Um, and I had a lot of fun with it, actually. The Korean, I mean, you know, we talked about Asian horror, like J-horror, K-horror, like they they know how to do that genre. This movie sort of like, it's got a lot of humor in it, actually. Um, the character uh, is supposed to be sort of like an online personality. It's also like a very fitting movie for this time because it's sort of like this guy, It um, half the movie or more than half the movie takes place in this guy's apartment. So it's kind of like he's quarantined and he's like just like sitting there watching the outside world fall apart and become zombies and whatnot around him mm-hmm. and he's just like watching it from his window like looking out his window you know like that spongebob meet um where squidward's looking out the window at SpongeBob Patrick <laughs> Ryan. it's kind of like that but like everybody that's running outside is zombies um it also employs a lot of like sort of modern technology like drones and like there's like a scene where he, um they're talking about like how there's this app on the phones that's like a radio app so you can tune in and listen to the reports because the news is going down um but like all and all you have to do is plug in like a headphone jack uh, or a headphone into the headphone jack and like cut off the wire so you can like tune into the uh, fm radio channels and like he like opens up his headphone drawer and it's all like wireless headphones there's like little like modern technology humor so, and stuff like that so it's kind of like watching a zombie apocalypse with the perspective of an introvert in a way yes but he's not really like a quote-unquote introvert because he is still like a influencer type persons like he's he's like there's not a whole lot of background on his um on like the person that he is and that's that was like one of my big problems with it is like the movie is pretty shallow like you know you don't really learn anything about the characters other than like Mm. what they are like you don't get any background to them but it is effective still because it still finds like a way to hook you emotionally because he's li- he's like at home by himself and his family's gone on vacation. So like the entire thing that's driving him is like, he's like, he's trying to survive for his family. He doesn't know what the status of his family is because he can't connect his phone. Um, and then like, he sort of starts communicating with this girl who lives across from him, like in the apartment that's across from him in the same building um, or in the same complex. Mm-hmm. And like then it sort of like transitions like shortly to like a rom-com, which is really <laughs> interesting. Um, but it was just like a cool, unique experience because I hadn't really experienced a zombie movie quite like this, that it's very like modern, but also very humorous. Um, it's not so like serious and dour like a lot of zombie movies are. It's very lighthearted, um, but it still had a lot of good effective scares in it. And it had a lot of like, thrilling action in it. Um, so I would definitely say check this one out if you're interested in finding like a zombie it kinda, movie. It kind of sounds like it's a good mix of like Train to Busan and Shaun of the Dead. In a little bit, yeah, in a little bit of a way, it definitely is inspired, I think, by both of those movies, like Train to Busan, because it's like a contained, very contained thing where he's just like stuck in his apartment and like trying to figure out what to do with his time and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, it also does employ some of that humor. It's a little bit more like sort of grounded humor than Shaun of the Dead, because Shaun of the Dead is like so slapstick and so <laughs> out there. This is more like, you know, him like acting like an idiot in front of this girl who he's trying to impress and stuff like that. So it is entertaining. Um, but I had a lot of fun with it, actually. Like, you know, it's, it's by no means like a stellar like horror movie. But like, you know, on Letterboxd, I'll probably give like a three or three and a half out of five. So it's, it's definitely worth it. It sounds like an interesting case study because like Korea has like a lot of ideas coming out with like zombies because you have Train of Busan, you have this movie, and you also kind of have like the whaling in a sense. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder, I wonder why they have this kind of kind of a very small boom right now within that niche of horror yeah you know? i'm not sure actually I, I assume that it has to do I, I i think this one was produced before the quarantine so like i i don't think it's any way tied to that but it's just interesting to see how relevant it felt like to mm. today's time for this movie to come out right now and like it's funny because the guy is like sitting in his apartment and he's like i've been stuck for 10 days and he's like dying basically like, he's like miserable <laughs> and it's just like we've been stuck inside for months now like calm down a little bit <laughs> like um but yeah I, I i'm not quite sure why that is 
the case in terms of what way things are trending in Korea. That mm. being said, like they're all good. Like they're they're doing it very very well, better than at least the United States is doing it. So that's oh, yeah. a, that's oh, yeah. a positive at least. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I watched this week and why I didn't get a chance to watch much more is I finally, you know, in my sort of shifting of subscription services, I, I resubscribed to Hulu briefly. So I did get to finish Samurai Champloo, which Sam has talked about as his favorite anime of all time. Mm. I'd right. watched, um, I hadn't watched a whole lot of it. I watched like the first seven episodes or so, and then I closed out with the last 20 or so over this week. Um, I don't, here's what I'll say about this anime. I think it's really good. Um, I think it sort of is rooted in the character dynamics of the main trio of characters that you're following on this journey. Um, I think that the action is spectacular, like the mm -hmm. sort of choreography and the animation and what uh, not as spectacular, and also the sort of different styles of fighting that each of our lead characters has is also pretty cool. Okay. Um, I did really love the music as well, like which was something that you touched on. Um, it was something that threw me off actually at first, and I got so used to it eventually that I really attached myself to it. Um, the things that I didn't like about this series as much is it was very episodic. Like it was right. episodic all the way through all 26 mm -hmm. episodes or whatever. It was almost entirely episodic. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that bothered me. Um, not so much. I got sort of used to it because I became so comfortable with the characters similar to the way like that I talked about avatar. It was jarring at first, but I got used to it and I, you know, I was okay spending time with those characters moving forward. Mm -hmm. And also I think that the series treatment of like <laughs> it's female characters is extremely problematic. This, this series came out like one, 2004, I think. Yeah, so, you know, it was that. obviously, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but it was, you know, a bit different perception. Um, it's still, you know, it's it's pretty problematic. I'll I'll just put it that way. I don't I don't want to like spoil anything. I'll let people tune into it. But it does, you know, at the same time, it does give Fu um, sort of redemption throughout the series. She has her moments and whatnot. But it definitely does treat her character in a pretty misogynistic way. So that was a bit problematic. That mm. all said, like I did really enjoy the series. I had a lot of fun with it, um, especially like the finale, the sort of three part finale. I thought that was spectacular. One of the best series finales that I've seen recently. Mm. Um, I don't think it's, you know, it's it's not necessarily near the top of my favorite anime list, but uh, I did have a really good time watching it, especially like with 26 episode runtime. That's not a lot of commitment and whatnot. And I really did enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate the fact that you did give this, move, this show a chance and, you know, you were honest with your review. I think the reason being that I'm so attached to this show is the fact that, you know, the episodic aspect of it is the reason that I've rewatched this show so many times. Like, I've seen it like seven or eight times already. Sure. So, like, I probably could just, like, you know, tune into a random episode and I'll yeah. have to, like, remember, like, a different plot point within a different part of another episode like no, that's, just that's a good point that's a i good could just point. tune in and you know just watch it and just have fun with it because that's how the show is but you know i talked to raj off here about this and like this is something that ties into shinichiro watanabe's other master class with cowboy bebop uh -huh. and kind of ties into the conversation of um, cora in, in a sense it's like the fact that it does have that a to b even though that a to b is very zigzagging in regards to this show it does have that cathartic element to it at the very end because it does have uh, it does have a goal it does have an objective the entire show is like get food to the the, the samurai yeah, sun of sunflowers mm -hmm. so and then you know we, we spend time with these characters and you know they're, they're very slap kind of almost slapstick but almost like um but also very serious aspects of the show and the way that watanabe explores um Japanese history in this like pseudo Edo period where you have elements of like modernism with like graffiti, rap, yeah. baseball, but yeah. you also introduce like you know with the samurai kimonos, the the hierarchy of the government with like shoguns and and all that. I think that melding like that melting pot of ideas that Watanabe had when he was creating this show just feels so fun and so fresh to me every time I watch the show I just have so much fun with it and then when you get to the episodes that are serious and you see that contrast between like where you see Mugen get high off the opium yeah he's chasing like these thieves mm. then when you see his backstory his two-part backstory when he goes that, back that episode to his, is incredible to his to his island and mm. just trying to get like a sense of who he is as a character and a deeper involvement into his individualism mm. it that that balance is perfect for me like i i watch the show every single time i get goosebumps every single time i've listened to the soundtrack consistently like new jabez force of nature min me fat john they all did an incredible incredible job with this show and you know i just watch it and watch it and watch it this show like whenever i just like feel like going and revisiting something that you know gives me happiness gives me joy but also gives me that that challenge of watching a show that 
that not a challenge but something that's just like you know it's very serious in its own way because of like the like the like the two-parter with Mugen's backstory the, the the last three episodes um it does have its bad episodes like i didn't like the baseball one that, that much i didn't like the zombie one that much mm-hmm. but the highs are much much higher higher than the lows i agree with you 100 percent in terms of the way that it blends the humor and the dra- uh, the drama of it all and it does mm. it very very seamlessly like it is one of the funnier animes that i have watched despite the fact that it's not a quote-unquote traditional comedy mm-hmm. um but there is some hilarious i actually love the baseball episode i thought it was hilarious the way they like <laughs> portrayed americans and whatnot and the sort of um the one the one japanese guy who's like obsessed with baseball and understands the sport and i, I thought that was actually a really funny episode i didn't love mm-hmm. the zombie one like you said uh, quite as much um but i think it does really do a good job of like you know you start one episode with these people just like in a forest arguing with each other like fighting over fish or food or something and then that episode like ends with this dramatic like sword fight in the rain where one character is dead and like all this crazy stuff happens and and i agree with you that it does very very well uh it does a really really good job of melding those two things together um Mm. i also say that like i think that Jin and Mugen in particular, just because Fu does get sort of put to the side a little bit, even though she is the sort of driving force. Like, they're two of the best characters that, like, I've attached myself to in anime. Mm-hmm. Especially, like you said, as you sort of unravel their backstories and learn why they are the way they are. Um, it just completely portrays their characters in a different light, and it has that sort of similar effect to a character. Um, not, not Again, not in anime, but in something that we talked about recently in Avatar, where, like, you see Zuko from one light in one perspective and then you see what why he is the way he is and you understand how he approaches life and that completely shapes the way you see that character that sort of unraveled for me throughout the series is like at the beginning i was like why am i gonna like these characters like mugen is like trying to go and like attack and harass women and then like you sort of like and nothing justifies that perspective of his character but Mm -hmm. you see where he's coming from you see his sort of backstory you see um, the dark depths that he had to climb out of to be even like alive at this point, and it right. just it does really like portray those characters in a really really cool way, and I, I that that sort of leads into the ending, and, and I just I think it's such a fitting proper ending for the entire trio of characters. I love the way it ends. I thought that finale episode was spectacular. Yeah, I think the reason I, I like this show so much is because for one, Mamadou like this is like one of our tying like when we were first getting to know each other back in like 2000. 2008, 2007, I believe, when he introduced me to this show. It was, like, one of those tiny things that, like, made us become friends. But also the fact that he introduced me to Nujabez, one of the scorers for the show. And I was like, you know, I love this music. I love this guy's music. This guy's, like, an incredible artist. And, like, I went to see if, like, he was, like, you know, working on an album or something. or like, a single coming out. And I found out that he passed away, like, Right after I finished watching the shows, like oh, I had wow. that, I had that moment with me that that stuck with me. I, let me ask you like a couple of questions. Is there a favorite episode, favorite moment that that, that you've attached yourself to, and is there a favorite song mm-hmm. in the um, show that you like so much? Like I love the intro and the ending are my favorite intro and ending themes for any anime. I love the intro. I actually, I didn't like it the first time, like the first two or three episodes. And like, mm-hmm. as I watched the episodes, I was like, I- I'm going to keep giving it a try. And like, towards the end of the series, I was like, I- I'm going to make sure. Cause like sometimes like the streaming services will jump and like skip the intro. I was like, no, I need to go back and make sure that I can listen to the intro. Cause I got so attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of episodes, yeah, it was the finale episode. I thought that that was the best one. But if I want to stray a little bit from the finale, it was one that came, you know, a few episodes before. Um, and I can't remember the name of the character off the top of my head. But it's the second part of the two-episode part, uh, the two-part episodes with the uh, blind woman. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that like, battle in the rain at the end, I just thought was so incredible. Oh, yeah. It's so mm-hmm. beautiful, the animation and that thing. Like, seeing, like, Mugen just, like, standing there with his sword in hand and, like, this pouring rain dumping over his head like that that was such a that that visual in particular i think is stuck in my head more than any other visual in the entire series um and the way this show ends mm-hmm. i don't want to spoil it no yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it broke my heart because of just the way that it just like it i can't really say how it ends mm-hmm. but i just don't know if, if you had that same moment where like you just like wow this is how yeah. like it's heartbreaking it's beautiful uh-huh. but like it's i don't know it's, it's raw it's real and it's, uh-huh. it's that, like I said, it's like fitting for each and each and every single one of the characters. And it's, you know, it's sad in a sense, but it's also bright in a sense and it's happy in a sense. And it leaves you with this sort of optimism of yeah, things are go. going to things are going to be good. Things are going to be good. Things are going to be happy for, for the characters that we leave behind. And it's just going to be like it's 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 fitting. That's the best way I can word it is fitting. So if I'm going to recommend three songs from the show that I love the most, I listen to the most mm-hmm. would be a Rurian dance. You probably missed it because it's in the episode where they're like 
the the narrator for this episode was the cop in that port town. Okay. And it's like a very low key moment in that in the show, but like the song itself is fantastic. Um, Battle Cry, obviously, being the intro for the show. Uh, Shiki no Uda is a fantastic, you know. Um, I think Shiki no Uda is the one with Minmi at the end, like the end sequence. Okay. And also Miss Line, because Miss Line, I, I'll just, <laughs> I'll give you like the show notes for these so you can like look these up yourself. Yeah. Miss Line is like a very like contemplative, very slow, very, you know, very nice sound. And like it's, it, I don't know, it's just, it's just, like, it's just a good song. <laughs> it, the music is really great. Like it's, it is very jarring at first, like I said, to sort of, transpose that hip-hop style music onto like an anime something i'm not very familiar with right but as the series progressed like again like the music got better but also i just became so much more comfortable with it and it did end up being one of the highlights of the series for me. have you have you seen cowboy bebop his other no, that, work? that's that might be next on my list though so, I've heard so such good things about it so. it's it's a masterpiece but if this one's like a hip-hop infused um hip-hop infused like japan-based history thing then cowboy bebop was like a jazz infused space thing Okay, I might like that one more then. And I've heard that I've I've heard like a lot of people put Cowboy Bebop like at the top of their best animes of all time list. Me and Matt seen... both like Samurai Champloo more. <laughs> okay, I think you guys are in the minority though, right? Yeah, we are. We are. Okay, okay. So uh, I might have to check out that one next. I'm still finishing a Monster, so it might have to come after Monster. Sure. Um, but I put Monster on pause while I was finishing up this series, so I could focus on one. Uh, but yeah, I did really like the series. I'm not quite as high on it as you, but I'm really glad that I did watch it, and especially sure. like at a 26 episode uh, count. Like I cannot complain at all. It was a very worthwhile experience. Hopefully, um, hopefully, I, w- I want to see your opinion change if you ever rewatch the show. It might, because already like in sort of the progression of being like 24 hours separated from it, I already like it a little bit more than I did when I finished it. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if like down the road, like even pretty soon on, like like you said, I could just tune into a couple of my favorite episodes and it would even grow more in my estimation. Yeah, well, that's what happened to me because like I was like that's literally what happened. Like I I saw the show, I liked it. I started listening to the music. I revisited it a couple times and like I just love the show because like, like my number one. I guess you could say if I make my list out, I have my list on my phone. I'm like pulling it out right now, but like <laughs> if flip flops between Naruto and Samurai Champloo, like I love those shows because like you know a huge part of my formative years sure no that makes complete sense and i understand why like i don't get me wrong i definitely understand why you love this show and what's so great about it Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah i I really did enjoy it and i'm glad that you recommended it to me and hopefully soon i'll be able to talk about cowboy bebop how long is that one that one's like another 24 okay so it's pretty short okay that's good yeah okay um but yeah that'll bring us to a close for this episode of talking movies thanks everybody for joining us um always as always be sure to check out our episode resources for our sorry our episode notes for resources on black lives matter um sam let people know where they can find you online you can find me on my twitter at sam zero so and on my instagram at sam osorio o-s-o-r-i-o you can find me at rodsud236 um as always please be sure to rate review and subscribe to the podcast be sure to share it with your friends and family you can find us on apple spotify anchor and all the popular platforms um and we'll be back here in just a few days as always with our featured segment episodes and join us later in the week